morning we continue our examination of Hosea, and we understand that God spoke through what we term in the modern world minor prophets. If you ever know, you know, I mean, that's one of those things. They bring a major message, and we call them minor, okay? Uh, you need to understand, again, that the only reason we call them minor prophets is because their scrolls are shorter than the other scrolls in, uh, in the prophetic part of the uh, Old Testament. Hosea is prophesying to the northern kingdom, and, and our Sunday school lessons have overlapped a lot with this because we've been looking at what's been going on in the northern kingdom of Israel that, that obviously is leading up. Next, well, uh, our, our next sermon from Hosea will we'll kind of begin that prophecy of the fall of the northern kingdom to, uh, uh, to Assyria in 722 B.C., and God, if you look, uh, we were going to cover it all this morning, but it got going, and, and man, there was just so much in these first four verses that I thought, I, I can't jump past this this quickly. But you'll also notice that God begins talking about the fall, not only of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., but also the fall of Judah, the southern kingdom, in 587 B.C. as well. And so listen, beloved, I said in Sunday school that the whole point of the Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, God lays out the, the world, this Edenic world, and that's where that, world, that word comes from, where humanity had, listen to me, a perfect relationship with God. They fellowshiped with God face to face. They had a perfect relationship with one another. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed that they were able to fellowship with one another, that there was nothing that stood in the way of their relationship with God, and there was nothing that stood in the way of their relationship with one another. And then they decided that perfection wasn't enough. And they fell. And they were alienated not just from God, but they were alienated from one another as well. And the whole rest of the Bible, beginning in Genesis 3.16, where theologians call this the Proto-Evangelium, where uh, God says that he was going to send someone to deal with this problem. Beginning in Genesis 3.16 is God's Word telling us how to repair that fractured relationship with Him and that fractured relationship with one another. First four commandments are our vertical relationship with God, how we maintain, how we get to know God. And then the second six commandments are our relationships with one another where we keep those relationships with one another where they need to be. And so the whole point of the prophets, the whole point of the prophets is that you think you know God. You think going through all of these religious rites and rituals and doing all of this stuff impresses God. But what God wants is your heart. Remember what Jeremiah said? God's not interested in writing his commandments on tablets of stone, okay? He wants to write his commandments on tablets of flesh, on our hearts, on our hearts where it makes a difference. 
God wants us to truly know him. In the honor of reading of God's word, let's all stand and read Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Hear this, O priest. Give heed, O house of Israel. Listen, O house of the king, for the judgment applies to you. For you have been a snare in Mitzpah and a net spread out on Tabor. The revolters have gone deep in depravity, but I will chastise all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. For a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we just pray, God, that we would never let our sin get to the place that it keeps us from returning to you. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. We ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. And God, we pray that as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea, when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well and cause us to understand and apply this perfect and infallible word to our lives uh, this morning. God, we love you with all of our souls. We trust you with all of our heart. And we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As we've seen in our study of Hosea, we saw that in the first three chapters that God, speaking through Hosea, is using the metaphor of marriage. And, and we came to understand that this is not just a metaphor, that this is not just you know, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where Bunyan was given this amazing story, but none of it actually happened. Okay, that it was a metaphor that, that Bunyan was using fictional characters to, to tell God's story. This story actually happened. There was a guy named Hosea who was married to a prostitute named Gomer. And they had three children. And God used that. God used that to tell his story. Now then, in chapter 4, we turn to what we came to see. And the, 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 the Hebrew word is reef. It's a covenant lawsuit. Okay, it is a covenant lawsuit. God says all the way back in Exodus chapter 20. That sounds familiar. It is the Ten Commandments. All the way back in, in Exodus chapter 20. Most of us seem to forget that the, the Ten Commandments are conditional. God says that if you will do this, I will be your God and you will be my people. They hadn't done any of it. Any of it. They had broken Every single one of those commandments. And so God now brings them into the divine court and brings a covenant lawsuit against them. And what he's saying, I mean, we see it there in verse 1. He says, hear this, O priest. Give heed, O house of Israel. Listen, O house of the king. Let me make that plain. Let me just pick on, on our tribe, okay? Listen, O ordained pastors within the Southern Baptist Convention. Listen, let's just keep it local. Listen, House and Senate of the state of Tennessee. Listen, Governor Lee. That's what Hosea is saying in verse 1. 
He is talking to the spiritual and the political leadership within the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. Why? Because God set them up. Now, this nation was never intended to be a theocracy. Israel was. Israel was from the beginning designed to be a theocracy. They had never functioned that way. And so the priest and the, the, the leadership and the king had decided they were going to do things their way in their time at their place. That if God said, this is the way you worship me properly, then they would say, well, you know what? That's just not convenient for us. We're going to do things our way. And God is saying, listen, you were supposed to be a, a, a group of people that took care of, that shepherded your people. But instead, you have been a snare and a net. These are hunting terms. These are terms that you would, would use it, 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 in our way. You, it would be like a, a, a trap for an animal that, that you needed to trap or, or get rid of. You become a trap. When people come to you, instead of finding protection, instead of being led into a deeper and, and more satisfying relationship with God, they're being led to do whatever they want to. Listen to me, beloved. A lot of people, and it's not popular in our world to say that there is no name, no other name under heaven whereby humanity is saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, beloved. We just sang He is worthy. Either He is or He isn't. He either conquered the grave and that sealed the deal or He didn't and everything is open for us. There is absolutely no doubt in the Bible that God will tolerate no rivals. None. Those that say that it's okay that as long as you worship a God, that, 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 that it just doesn't really matter what you worship as long as it fulfills you and makes you feel good about yourself. They've never read the Bible. I mean, they've never even read the first three chapters. Don't let them tell you that they have. They don't know anything about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have five other gods before me. That's how many I'll allow, right? No. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Hosea is coming to these people and saying, you've got your heart in the wrong place. And you've got your heart to the place, verse 4, that your deeds will not allow you to return to God. Hmm. Does that sound vaguely familiar? How about the prodigal? Man, he got up there, he was having, you know, a, 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 a large time. He's having a good time. And his deeds would not let him go back home. Until finally he got to the place where he was eating pig slop. And now he said, 
Even my daddy's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell my daddy that what I did was foolish. It was wrong. It was a sin against him and against God. See, beloved, the whole point is that God wants us to genuinely know him. Now, listen, on this side of glory, we're never going to know him as well as we're going to know him when we're up in heaven. All right? You know, one of the blessings of being married for a lengthy period of time is that you've had that much more time to get to know this other person, okay? That you never stopped discovering, okay? And the beauty of our relationship with God is that it will never come to an end. We will never get to a place where we will know everything there is to know about God. Our relationship with Him will continue to grow and continue to thrive if we want it to do that. Verses 1 through 3. You know, we've seen that, that what God is saying, that, that this is talking about the, the leadership in the nation. What God is saying is, how can you expect your people to behave any better than you do? Amen. Listen, if the guy leading a group of troops turns and runs when the enemy shows up, what's going to happen to the men that he commands? They're going to turn and run too. All right? When the leadership of any organization gets to the point where they believe the rules do not apply to them, then what happens to the people that are supposed to be following them? They believe the rules don't apply to them either. And they find themselves, verse 2, deep in depravity. Listen. What this phrase in Hebrew literally means is that they're up to their ankles in blood. There is no respect for life. When is the last time you heard any news report that did not include a murder? Okay? That's the culture that we live in. And let me tell you what something. It is the culture that we want because we keep electing these people to go and do this stuff. I know I'm not supposed to get political. But bless God, if Hosea and Amos could, could criticize, then I'm just following in that tradition. The revolter, I'm not calling anybody out by name. The revolters have gone deep in depravity. But I will chastise all of them. Listen, beloved, do we believe that? Do we honestly believe that? Do we honestly believe that, that if we step outside of, of God's plan for our life, that there will be consequences for it? I mean, it used to be a joke, you know, if somebody said something outlandish, that we'd kind of do this. Step back and look up 
and it became such a joke that we just kind of believe that God's going to tolerate anything that we say or do. God's lucky to have us on his side. God's lucky that we talk about him at all, even if we're not talking about him right. Paul addressed this same spirit in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 8. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Well, that was the understatement of the century, wasn't it? For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, there's a, there, there's a sermon right there, beloved. There's a sermon right there, and it's not for the world, it's for the church. But anyway, holding to a form of godliness, a form of godliness. How many of y'all would be happy living in a form of a house? What, nobody? You want to live in a real house? Then why are we satisfied with a form of godliness? Although they have denied his power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Doesn't that describe the world that we live in, beloved? See, here's the problem. The real, the, the real tragedy here is not that they stumbled. Okay? The tragedy is not that they stumbled. The tragedy is that they never asked God to bring them back. The tragedy is that they fell down and they were happier in the muck and the mire. They were happier to not allow their deeds to return them to God. If a person knows how to humbly reach out to God, God will always work with them. Amen? He will always welcome them back. All these people were interested in was getting richer and richer and taking advantage of, of everyone that they could. Jesus addressed this same thing as, as he was given to us his teaching on the last time in Matthew 25, 41 through 46. Jesus said, Then he will also say to those on his left, Wait a minute. Who's he talking to here, beloved? Well, he ain't talking to pagans. Let's get that in our mind right off the bat. He is not talking to pagans. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me then they themselves also will answer, 
Lord. We're not dealing with pagans here. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer to them. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment. You understand what I'm saying? These are folks that showed up for church. These are folks that showed up at church on Sunday morning. They threw, as Matthew West says in his song, a 20 in the plate, but they never gave until it hurt. They went out and and spent all of their money and, and, and all of their resources on stuff. Stuff. Stuff that's just going to turn into dust. And Jesus says, to the extent that you did not help the least of these, you didn't help me. You didn't help me. Your relationship with me was just a sham. It was just a show. The people broke all restraints. Neither God's word or or the people's consciousness nor any type of reasoning put a restraint on their behavior. They either denied or ignored God's word and his commandments or they justified them in their mind. Or they planned to go ahead and sin knowing that God would, would forgive them. Remember what Paul said about that? Shall we sin more that grace shall abound more? And Paul said, God forbid. God forbid that we walk into something saying, I know what I'm getting ready to do is a sin, but I also know that God is merciful and that if I ask Him, He'll forgive me. They hardened themselves against the restraints of conscience and reason. Paul talked about the same thing, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit explicitly says, that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then to the Ephesians he wrote this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Listen to me, beloved. Do you understand that's a word of hope? that you walk no longer. It means that we used to walk that way, but that there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that we not walk in the futility of our mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, Having become callous. Remember what, 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 what God said about uncircumcised hearts? Uncircumcised hearts, hearts that have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Beloved, we either know God and we walk with Him 
that we walk in, in the understanding of God and allow Him to change our hearts. Zephaniah put it this way in Zephaniah 3.7. I said, surely you will revere me and accept instruction so her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. Do you see the promise? Do you see what God wants to do in our lives? If we will be eager to reach out to Him and not corrupt our deeds. Verse 4. Here's the deal. I, I, I know I should never use illustrations that over half the people in the room are not going to have a clue what I'm talking about. But back when I was a young man, Flip Wilson, Geraldine, remember Geraldine? Ah, the devil made me do it. See, that's the way we always want to be. I had a man, you know, I was talking to one of my new employees this week, and and, and I don't know, something had happened, and, and we were giving him a hard time, and he said, man, you're brutal. And I said, this is nothing compared to my shop down in Knoxville. I had this young man that worked for me. I trained him to be a technician, and, and he dropped something. And he knew we were just going to wear him out. And Sam looked at us and said, I didn't drop it. I was holding it, and it fell. <laughs> I was holding it, and it fell. It's not my fault, okay? See, we always want to try to blame somebody else. Always. Listen, when the officer steps up to the, to the window of the car, don't we always have an excuse in our mind? Lord, there was a bee in the car, you know? Or, here's one, I was listening to some Jesus music and I just got lost in the moment. Didn't you see my hand up, officer? I wasn't waving at you, you know? We always want to blame somebody else. We always want to blame somebody else for our problems. Those of you that work in education know that, that nobody's prized pig ever does anything wrong at school. It's somebody else's fault. Okay? But God says, God says take responsibility. Take responsibility for your deeds and return to me. And that's when you start getting close to God. Beloved, God calls us to know Him, to really know Him. And that's why we're doing what we're doing in the Lord's Supper that we're going to receive in just a moment. To show that we have gotten close to God and we want to get closer. I close by asking all of us this. Do we really know God?